few months ago, the Powerball jackpot was worth 448 million. My husband bought a couple of tickets. Pray with me, baby, he said. Pray we win the lottery. I gave him a sideways glance. I've already won the lottery, I said. That's right, he said. You won the lottery on the day you married me. <laughs> I smiled at his quick comeback, but that wasn't what I had in mind. Actually, I said, I was thinking that I won the lottery on the day I was born. I was born in the Twin Cities to parents who are kind, thoughtful, and generous. For the entirety of my life, my parents have made sure that I know that I am wanted, that I am loved, and that I belong. My parents value education, travel, and adventure. As a result, I have degrees, passport stamps, and a wealth of experience. My husband is an optimist. He has wit, he has ambition, and he has never once questioned my creative pursuits. My son is athletic, compassionate, social, and so smart. And my dogs are silly. <laughs> they make me laugh every day. I am blessed. And because of these blessings, I struggle with prayer. Having so much already, I can't help but wonder, do I have the right to ask the divine for anything? If I do, it probably shouldn't be a winning lottery ticket. But I even struggle with praying for something intangible, like patience, which I need a lot of, because my son, despite all his wonderful attributes, is three. <laughs> I know that the definition of prayer is bigger than asking God for favors. Some people refuse to pray for themselves and only pray for others. Some people don't seek anything from a power greater than themselves, but instead see prayer as a time to project positive energy into the universe and envision their souls expanding and expanding. Some people work hard to still their jumping brains and bring all of their energy to a focused standstill to find their inner center and to feel that they are enough just as they are and exactly where they are. I have, at one time or another, tried each of these approaches to prayer, and none has stuck. For me, the approach that has stuck is writing haiku. You probably learned about haiku in elementary school. It's that ancient form of Japanese poetry 
that is three short lines of counted syllables. Five, seven, five. I started writing haiku on a lark. A friend and I challenged each other to keep a diary of our lives in haiku form for an entire year. We started in January, wondering just how far we'd get. By December, haiku had so worked its way into our lives that we kept the diaries going. I have been writing haiku for five years. Because the haiku started as a sort of creative dare between two friends, each little poem I write feels like another link in the chain of this friendship. I love sending off my poems to my friend. And likewise, I relish reading my friend's haiku. Each one offers me a glimpse into her life that I probably wouldn't have heard in casual conversation. Traditionally, haiku are supposed to include a seasonal reference. Not all of mine do. But knowing that my friend is expecting regular haiku updates and knowing that haiku is supposed to be about nature, I have found that I am more observant. I actively watch flowers squirrels, and sticks. I watch the clouds. I listen to leaves. And in doing so, I've grown more familiar with the signs of each season. And I've grown to see haiku as a spiritual practice. A lot of haiku poets have ditched the 575 syllable count. Not me. I like the strict requirement. As I swap out words and count out beats, I am focused on the idea that I am trying to get across. I like having my attention tuned to something so small. Yet haiku surprises me again and again. It is small, but it can say great things. Two crows side by side. We all need companionship when the trees are bare. Come, let us worship together. <laughs>